0: Welcome to Honey from the Rock, a podcast devoted to Bible exposition. My father, Jack Christensen, preached expositionally for over 50 years, first as a missionary to Pakistan and later as a pastor in New England. His legacy lives on in me. He often began his sermons with a little expression, And now, A little honey from the rock, taken from Psalm 81, verse 16. The psalmist wrote, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Today, more than ever, we need to feed our souls on the words of God in the Bible. The crying need of the church is for God-centered, word-explaining messages. So now, my friends, a little honey from the rock. Pat Riley is a Hall of Fame coach who led six teams to National Basketball Association championships and even won one as a player. He has been incredibly successful in his career. But years ago, he identified the reason why championship teams are often defeated soon after they win it all. They do not lose because other teams get better. They lose because they defeat themselves. They have the same talent they had when they won the championship. But they're not the same people. Riley coined a phrase to explain what happens to NBA players. They succumb to the disease of more. The disease of more. At first, that more is winning a championship. But after winning it all, it's no longer enough. The more becomes other things. They want more money, more endorsements, more playing time, more plays called for them, and more media attention. So what was once a team of talented players becomes a group of players infected by the disease of more. The result is they lose. Why do yesterday's luxuries become today's necessities? We want more. Why is a black and white television now a sign of poverty, not prosperity? Why do we have so much but feel so unhappy? In 2020, a study revealed that only 14% of Americans said they were very happy. That's down from two years earlier, in 2018, when 31% of Americans said they were very happy. The General Social Survey has been tracking happiness since 1972 and reports that people in the United States are more unhappy today than they have been in 50 years. We are not happy people. Why? It's because what the philosopher Plato said 2,500 years ago is still true today. Poverty consists not in the decrease of what one has, but in the increase of what one wants. The disease of more. It's called materialism. Joe Stoll, former president of Moody Bible Institute and the author of 20 books, said, The real point of materialism is not how much we have, but what has us. It's not what we hold, but how tightly we hold it. My friends, materialism has us in its deadly grip. We determine our value in society by the amount of our possessions. We determine our self-worth by how successful we are in the business world. We determine our success by our bank accounts, by our cars, by our boats, our houses, and our properties. It's no wonder we are never happy. We always want more. Mastering materialism requires valuing spiritual valuables. James introduces us to the major themes of his letter in the first chapter. He talks about trials in verses 1 through 4, and then about making wise choices in verses 5 through 8. And now he introduces us to his third major theme in this book, in this letter. The theme is materialism. Materialism values material things. Things master us. So if we want to master materialism, it starts with our attitudes. It makes no difference whether you have lots of money or little money, because the test is the same. We can be just as materialistic with little as we can be with much. It's an attitude problem more than anything else. James tells us that there are two great tests of wisdom living. There is the test of poverty, and there is the test of wealth. So let's look at the poor Christian first in verse 9. The poor Christian masters materialism by valuing their high status in Christ. Let me say that again. The poor Christian masters materialism by valuing their high status in Christ, verse 9. James writes in verse 9, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. James calls this person a brother. So, he's a believer, a Christian, but he is poor. He doesn't have much material, many material possessions. The pursuit of wealth, not the possession of it, makes one a materialist. So, poor people can be just as materialistic as rich people. Materialism has to do with what we want, not what we have. So, let's examine the poor Christian in society. The Greek word for humble often translates the Hebrew word for poor in the Old Testament. The word means someone with few possessions. James is setting up a contrast in these verses between the rich in verse 10 and the poor in verse 9. He is talking about the materially poor people in Palestine. But it includes the broader concept of low social status as well, because the poor were viewed as low class and lazy people. And we have that same tendency today. The same tendency to assume that poor people are poor because they are lazy, or they lack talent, or are incapable of doing better. America may not have a literal class system like a country like India, for example, but we tend to view the rich as high class and the poor as low class. James is not talking about lazy people here, nor is he implying that poor people are socially inferior. There were several classes of poor people in Palestine at this time. There were those who were poor because, well, they were socially victimized. Orphans and widows, for example, had limited means of survival in Jewish society in the first century. That's why in James 1.27, he says that caring for orphans and widows defines pure religion in society. Many also were economically victimized. The greed and power of wealthy people victimized people in that day, and of course still do today. It's estimated that between the religious taxes and the Roman taxes, the average income in Palestine would be taxed at about 40%. 40% of your income was paid in taxes. On top of that, the wealthy often extorted more money from the poor by using their power to loan money at exorbitant rates. And if a person could not pay the taxes, or a person could not pay the loans, they might be imprisoned and their means of livelihood confiscated. How would a person ever get out of poverty in that situation? They wouldn't. Finally, there were those who were legally victimized. The immigrants were called Aliens, and they had little legal recourse to being exploited by the rich and powerful in society. Others, like lepers, for example, were outcasts in society and could not hold jobs. The rich controlled employment, and if you could not work, you could not escape poverty. Immigrants, could never redress their wrongs in the legal system, the court system, so they were oppressed and exploited by the wealthy. God had commanded repeatedly in the Old Testament that the people were to care for and help immigrants. It is one of God's commands. But the rich ignored what God said to get what they wanted or to keep what they, what they had. James is writing to these people in in his letter. The poor could easily fall into the trap of materialism by thinking and talking about their poverty and obsessing about how to gain wealth so they could climb the social ladder, get out of the mess they were in. That's a natural tendency for all of us, isn't it? But when we are always talking about what we cannot afford or what we would like to buy if we had the money, then we are engaging in what some call poor talk. Poor talk. Poor talk is a tip-off that we are really closet materialists because all we can think about is gaining money and possessions for ourselves so we won't be victimized in society. James says, don't spend your time in poor talk. Rather, boast or glory or exult in your high position in Christ. The poor Christian is not to focus on what they don't have, but is to focus on the lasting value of Christ. The poor Christian is to glory, to exult to be excited about his high position in Christ. Christ lasts. Spiritual values have enduring quality. They never fade away with circumstances. And that is why we are to focus on that which endures, that which is eternal, and not that which passes away. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 26 to 31, that God chose the foolish things of this world. We Christians are the foolish things of this world. Why? Because we are not the mighty and powerful in this world. We are the foolish things of this world, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The word foolish means moronic. God chose us The morons of this world to shame the powerful and the wealthy. Because God chose us, we are to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. He picked you to be his own. So boast in him and not in what you have in this world. He didn't pick them, he picked you. So boast in him. My friends, Boast in your high position in Christ in your circumstances today. You see, there was a class struggle in the first century between the haves and the have nots. Does that sound familiar to us today? Sure, it's been a part of human history. Well, this class struggle led to a series of Jewish Robin Hoods who stole from the rich to give to the poor. Eventually, that became part of the revolt against the Roman authorities that led to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So James is addressing some of those feelings that the poor Christians were struggling with. They were the have-nots in their world. Christians may have a low position in society, but we have an exalted position for all of eternity with Christ. The poor Christian is equal to the rich Christian in the kingdom of Christ and far, far above the non-Christian because we are children of the king of kings. We are heirs of all that the king has for us. The poor Christian is is told to open their eyes to all of their riches in Jesus Christ. James says in James 2, verse 5, that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. The poor and the rich are on the same level in the church, so glory in what you have in Christ. Friends, if we focus on the things that have eternal value, we will be rich beyond degree. We need to learn to live with heaven's perspective and see life through heaven's eyes. Then then we will find lasting happiness in this life. That is the test of poverty The poor Christian masters materialism by valuing their high position in Christ. But now let's look at the test of wealth. The rich Christian masters materialism by valuing their low status in Christ. Let me say that again. The rich Christian masters materialism by valuing their low status in Christ. Listen to what James tells us in verses 10 and 11. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he'll pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. God is the great equalizer. The poor man is raised up in Christ, but the rich man is brought down in Christ. James is looking at it, of course, from a human perspective, because both are actually equals in Christ. The test of wealth for the rich Christian is to stop valuing his riches and to glory in his humbling Ten years ago, I made a trip to Russia where I taught some seminars. One of the seminars was in a tiny village, in literally in the middle of nowhere, it seemed. It was a very poor farming community. But the people were so warm and generous to our team that it made the time together just delightful. The village reminded me of Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. Tevya sings a song entitled, if I were a rich man. And it's a song to God as he wonders what it would be like to be rich. And he ends the song by saying to God, would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? He wishes just once that he could take the test of wealth instead of the test of poverty. Well, friends, We need to resist the tendency to have a reverse snobbery about wealth. It's not sinful to enjoy the possessions God gives to you. There are many wealthy Christians, including many biblical characters like Job or Abraham or Solomon. One writer puts it this way. It's not possessing riches that God condemns, but clinging to them coveting them, and having our activity centered around them. You see, it's our wrong way of looking at things, our wrong scale of values that matters. How, then, is the rich Christian to function in society? The rich Christian is to glory or boast in his humiliation. Now, this is the same Greek word used in verse 9 to describe the poor Christian. The rich Christian demonstrates wisdom by his attitude toward money just as much as the poor Christian. Both must devalue money. The poor Christian rejoices that he has been given a position of honor as the child of the king. The rich man glories that his wealth is worth less in the kingdom. The poor Christian stops thinking about his poverty, and the rich Christian stops thinking about his wealth. The rich Christian is on the same level in God's kingdom as the poor Christian. Spiritually, the poor Christian has been raised up to the rich man's level and the rich Christian has been lowered to the poor Christian's level in Christ. And this leveling effect is because of the passing value of wealth, James tells us. The rich person loses everything material that they value when they die. So James tells us, don't waste your time valuing material possessions that pass away. The Greek word for rich refers to someone who does not need to work for a living. James compares this person to the beautiful flowering grass of Palestine. And the point is that the wildflowers that blanket the countryside in the spring are splendid, beautiful, but temporary and passing. You can have all the splendors of wealth, but life is transitory, and when you die, it all passes away. It's gone, like the wildflowers wilting before the scorching desert wind. The people were all too familiar with the dreaded Sirocco, which was a searing wind blowing off the Arabian desert. It was like a hot oven, destroying all the green vegetation in a matter of hours. The Sirocco blows continuously night and day with no nighttime cooling relief. All the plant life in Palestine withered under this blast of heat. James tells us, This is exactly what happens to the rich man in the midst of his pursuits, James says. The rich person is going about his business, enjoying his wealth, busy with all of his possessions and his activities. When it all fades away and it's gone, death snuffs out all his glory in a single moment. We cannot take it with us, so we must view wealth as a passing value, here today, gone tomorrow. The ancient Egyptian pharaohs tried to take it all with them when they died. They only succeeded in building pyramids, which people looted over the years. The pyramids are colossal monuments to the passing value of wealth. They even had their wives buried with them. What foolishness! Yet the skyscrapers that mark our biggest cities and the towers of human wealth that dot our landscape are nothing more than monuments to the foolishness of man, just like the pyramids. That's why it bothers me when I see statistics like these. Among evangelical Christians who regularly attend our evangelical churches, 75% of evangelical Christians agree that God wants me to prosper financially. God wants me to prosper financially. 75%. And 41% agree that their church teaches that if I give more money to my church and charities, God will bless me in return. 41%. No, 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 my friends. God does not teach either of those ideas. Those are unbiblical ideas. You cannot take it with you. Material possessions have no eternal value. So hold all things loosely, like a slippery bar of soap. Better yet, Invest your material possessions in things that have eternal value. We can exchange our earthly possessions for heavenly joys because of God's kingdom exchange rate. Chuck Swindoll used to tell the story of another pastor friend of his who lost his luggage on a trip. Since he was to speak at a week of meetings, he went down to the local thrift store to find a couple of suits, and he found a whole row of suits that fit him. The salesman smiled and said, Well, you need to know that they came from the local mortuary. They've all been cleaned and pressed, but they were last used on corpses. Not a thing wrong with them. I just didn't want it to bother you, that's all. Well, Swindoll's friend said, Ah, oh, no, that's fine. So he bought a couple of cheap suits. When he got back to his room, he began to get dressed for the evening service. <clears throat> and as he put the suit on, he found that the pockets were all sewed up. He thought, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. Corpses don't carry things with them when they go. Swindoll's pastor friend said he spent all week Trying to stick his hands in his pockets. He wound up hanging his keys on his belt. He said he was reminded all week about the passing value of wealth. Mastering materialism requires valuing spiritual valuables. A tourist was once traveling through the area where a famous Jewish rabbi named Rabbi Chaim was living. Being a great admirer of the rabbi, he made inquiries about whether he could visit the rabbi at his home, and he soon got a reply that he was welcome to visit the rabbi anytime. The young tourist thereafter arrived at the rabbi's home with much excitement. Upon reaching the simple one-roomed house, he was asked to enter. Upon entering to his amazement, he he saw only a table, a lamp, and a cot, and lots of books inside the house. Surprised by what he saw, the tourist then inquired, Rabbi, where's the rest of your furniture? Rabbi Chaim calmly replied, where's yours? Puzzled by the rabbi's response, the tourist replied, My furniture, but I'm only a visitor here. And the rabbi then replied, So am I. Someone has said, Contentment is when your earning power equals your yearning power. Well, if that's true, then we had best control our yearning power if we want to master materialism. How do we control our yearning power? Let me suggest four little principles to help us master materialism. First, live impartially. Live impartially. Whether we are rich or poor, we are equal in the body of Christ. So we must live that way. There's no social caste system in the church of Jesus Christ. Don't begrudge others for their enjoyment of what they have, But don't judge others as unsuccessful because they don't have those things. We are equal in Christ, whether we have much or we have little. Second, compare carefully. Instead of comparing ourselves with those who have bigger houses, nicer cars, or more toys, we must value the spiritual blessings God has given to us. It's far too easy to fall into jealousy when we are looking at the photoshopped lives we see on Facebook. So avoid the disease of comparisonitis. Third, evaluate realistically. The things that pass away are less valuable, less valuable than the eternal blessings in Christ. Cars, houses, and toys all pass away. But salvation and Christian fellowship are eternal. Value people, not things. Look at everything from an eternal perspective. Because if it doesn't matter eternally, it isn't worth getting wound up about here on earth. Finally, think spiritually. We need to cut the poor talk. Poor talk is a tip off that we are really closet materialists. When we are always talking about what we cannot afford, we focus attention on earthly things and not spiritual valuables. We need to talk more about things that matter eternally to refocus our minds on what is really valuable in life. And that, my friends, is how we control our yearning power and master materialism.